This episode of the Sun's Jam Session Podcast is coming to you via Bright Side of the Sun and the Bright Side of the Sun Podcast Network. Make sure you press subscribe so you're getting the Sun's Jam Session Podcast, as well as what Justin and Paul are doing on Fanning the Flames as well. Another great podcast to listen to, brought to you by Bright Side. You can always follow this podcast on Twitter, at Sun's Jam. You can hit us up on Instagram as well, also at Sun's Jam. I'm the host of the Sun's Jam Session. I'm at Darth Voida, a.k.a. John, and the, the am to my J is Matthew and Matthew. So, Matthew Lissy, how are you doing today, sir? Hey, I'm doing good. I'm the other host. What's up, ho? How you doing? <laughs> what up, co-ho? Yeah, co-ho. That's what Jordan says, right? That's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the sneak footage that we got to see is him calling people hoes. Yeah, hoes. Oh, man, that was and, well worth it. Oh, he called somebody a bitch, and I, like, I almost <laughs> yeah. did a backflip. I'm like, finally. I'm finally seeing all the behind-the-scenes footage I wanted yeah. to on The Last Dance. Jordan's calling people bitches and hoes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you can always follow Matthew on Twitter. At Matthew Lissy. And make sure that you have a good time listening to this here podcast because we're going to be talking about the last dance discussion. And we're going to be talking episodes seven and eight, which came out on Sunday. Uh, I have to have a beer when I talk anything Suns related. And this one's a twist off. So I don't know how, what the sound's going to be like, but let's, let's crack this bad boy open. Yeah, it doesn't mm. have the same effect, but you know what? Mm. <laughs> ah, tastes delicious. So let's talk the last dance. What do you say? Let's do it. So the last dance came out again on Sunday. Another great event that we look down, uh, look forward to. Uh, yeah. One of the few things that we have to look forward to these days. And you know, although that they're, they're talking about some timelines in the NBA and MLB on when sports are going to come back, it truly is the only thing there is to watch on television, right? It is the only thing. Um, it's it's kind of. Uh, do you still think of it as watching sports though? For me, I don't. I think of it watching like as like a drama or something, or yeah. kind of like a reality show. I don't know why. I don't think of it as sports. I really don't. I know they show the highlights of the games, but we already know what happened in those games. Uh, a lot of people aren't looking for footage of the games, so it's all the behind the scenes stuff, which is, makes it reality to me. Yeah, it's like a reality TV show from the nineteen ninety eight season. But you're right. It's not. A, it, it's a sporting event, but it's not sports. You know, it's nice yeah. to count down to something and go, hey, at 6 o'clock Arizona time on Sunday, I know where I'm going to be. I'm going to be in front of my TV watching ESPN and watching them throw some F-bombs and bitches and hoes out there. But again, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not sports. But no. it is the only show that's on right now that I'm looking forward to. You know, there's oh, 90 yeah. Day Fiance is, is out there, and my, my fiance watches that one. And I'll catch it here and there, but I'm not counting down. I'm like, oh, I, don't, I couldn't tell you what time that comes on. Yeah, I can tell you what time the last dance comes on. Yeah, no, anybody could, right? Yes, I, I would hope so. Yeah. So let, let's let's talk the last dance. What was uh, what was your initial thoughts on episodes seven and eight in watching it? Um, honestly, I'm just always still on the other end on this. I think it's good. I don't think it's great. Uh, we got some behind the scenes footage finally. Like I mentioned in the beginning, uh, you mentioned bitches. I mentioned ho, <laughs> and that's what he was calling his teammates and. I, I think, I guess that's a good footage. I think that's all we're going to get. Like that's the ultimate footage right there, mm -hmm. but it's just stuff I, you know, we expect. So I'm not really blown away by this too much. And I don't know why I was tired last night when I watched it. Uh, he, he had the whole episode with his, uh, about his dad, his dad's death. That's how episode seven started. 
Um, so that was very interesting to me. I think anybody could tell you when they think of Jordan, they think about their, his dad's death and him going to play baseball. I thought there would be a different take on it. I thought there would be more takes on it, more insight on it. Mm-hmm. Still nothing really new. It's just stuff that we know. Um, so it's, it's fun to watch. I'm enjoying this. I just don't think it's anything great. But like I said, they started off with Jordan's dad. And how much do you remember of that when it happened? I can remember exactly where I was when I heard that his dad had passed and, w- and when, he, uh, when he retired. Like those were monumental moments for me as a young lad in Simi Valley, California at the time. Uh, I cried. I cried when Jordan retired that first time. You know, yeah. I've, I've said it on this podcast before and I'll say it again. I was a huge Michael Jordan fan as a kid. He was a role model. He was my idol. Uh, I probably liked him more than I liked Jesus, <laughs> which, yeah. made, which made my parents not too happy, you know, but yeah. uh, I loved Michael Jordan. And when he retired, it was devastating for me as, as a kid. And it's something that I had to navigate and try to understand why. And I guess I could understand why. And then once he went to baseball, it was, uh, yeah. it was an interesting time as well. Cause that's the sport that I actually had an affinity for. And I played my whole life was I was a baseball player growing up. I can't play basketball. I can shoot cause I'm white but yeah. I can't play basketball. I'm not big enough for football, but, ba- but baseball just made sense to me. So knowing that Jordan was still going to be around in some capacity offered some hope, but initially when it all happened, it was, it was devastating. Uh, the conspiracy theories, I remember seeing some, some of those. And to your point, I was hoping that there'd be a little more insight into that. And this documentary really didn't provide that. You know, I think that seeing Jordan leave now really kind of raised a couple questions to me and maybe you can assist me in answering a couple of these him leaving in his prime is comparable to what to what um dude that's a tough question because i don't think anybody i don't know i would have to compare it to like a death or something honestly because i can't because you cried when he retired yeah and it just reminds me of like when kobe passed away it's like everyone felt that everyone was upset i cried Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a bit, I liked Kobe a lot, but it's just like, it just shows how much impact they had on you. And I can't think of anything I can compare it to other than like someone's death. And that's weird to say, but that's, that's, that's how I, that's all I really thought about for some reason. So I got a, I got a couple for you. And again, I mean, you have to understand this is such a momentous thing. You have to think about it. And I think they did a pretty good job explaining this in the doc is this is the most cherished jewel of the national basketball association the most recognized human in sports and probably top five humans period and he decides right in his prime to hang it up so i'm like okay well what's that like so the first thing i initially thought of was okay maybe it's like lebron deciding to leave and go play for the browns in his prime you know very comparable but you know but i don't know how much of a social impact that would have and hell i think lebron would kick some ass on the Browns. You could put him at tight end and he'd probably be very successful in the NBA yeah. or, I'm, or I'm sorry, in the NFL. Uh, the second thing I thought of is maybe it's like when the Beatles broke up, but if the Beatles had broken up like three years prior, because the Beatles broke up in 1970 and they had already been around for six years in the conscience of America and the world. They had put out hit after hit album after album. And after they put it at, uh, the let it be album out, that was it. They called it quits. They actually recorded Abbey Road after Let It Be and released it before it. But, uh, but if they had quit right after 
like the White Album or Sgt. Pepper's. After Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band comes out and if the Beatles just called it quit, I think that's what this is most comparable to because it's something that has that's bigger than than any human being. It, it's, it's more of a culture behind this entire Beatles phenomenon, the whole Jordan phenomenon. And to have them just quit midway through would have been devastating to me at that time. And it would have been devastating, I think, to anybody at that time. And that's where I found myself kind of thinking, I'm like, wow, what, what is this comparable to? And mm-hmm. I mean, those are kind of the two that I came up with. Yeah. And I thought about death, of course, but um, <laughs> so they talk about it and they ask Phil Jackson about it, the meeting they had in the office. And it's just like, you don't get anything from it. He just says, basically, he told me he wanted to retire. And um, Phil Jackson just says, well, I mean, you have the gift and you're depriving a lot of people in the world of seeing your gift, you know, ever again. And that's your decision. And that's his decision. And that was it. But it's just like, it's such a big moment. Like you said, you compare it to the Beatles breaking up but we don't get anything from it. We don't get anything like, yeah, not in the doc. And no, doc, really... to, to your point, the doc is very underwhelming in that standpoint. Yeah. Because you could do an entire five part series on Jordan simply going into retirement. You really could. And what he had to do to navigate uh, baseball and, and deal with the fan. I mean, they, they, they put that to a 20 minute piece at the beginning of episode seven and it's very unfulfilling. And I can, I can agree with you in the fact that a lot of this, documentary where going into it the hope was i'm gonna see so much shit that i've never seen before i'm excited for this and now we're eight episodes through and i've i've already seen all this stuff i've just seen it in shorter spurts throughout time and i know the story yeah and all we gotten is the bitches and hoes and then we have the (laughs) i don't know who it was um in the tunnels for the bulls but the cheerleaders come running out and one of the bulls players like pinches them on the butt i think it was was ron harper yeah yeah something so i mean that's that's all we got and it's great to see jordan at practice but then also you see him looking up at the camera midway through like glancing like oh the cameras are on yeah so it's like i gotta put on the show i gotta show him what what it's like this is what it's like every day and it's like, eh, I mean, that's cool. But if it's like us watching Booker do it, I don't know. I mean, it's what we expect these guys to be like. You know what I mean? I know he was more intense because he even cried at the end of episode eight where he was talking about his passion and how he just – this is how he had to play the game and how he had to, like, discipline Treat his, his teammates. Team. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's it's good stuff. I, I mean, I'm having fun. I just thought there would be more. Um, but, I mean, he goes into baseball, and we know about that too. We know about – how he was, he was okay. He was good. And if I had to hear about it again, like he sucked, like that is, it's, it's getting annoying to hear from people where he sucked at baseball. Cause again, in the doc, we hear them talk about if he would have stayed in it, he would have made it to the major leagues. It's like, how many times I, would I they call hear that? bullshit on that though? You think so? Yeah. Cause think about it. I mean, he's coming into major league baseball at 30 or 31 years old. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, he's not like a 23 year old kid who has the, the time to learn how to play baseball. If they're saying, yeah, in like three or four seasons, he could made it to the bigs. And what, get like seven at-bats pinch hitting because he's 35 now? I mean, yeah. I think that he had the determination and he had the drive, but he didn't have the time to, to make it to the bigs. Mm-hmm. It, but it's still overwhelming to me how he is 31 and he goes back to the NBA and wins three more championships. Well, but so I think then maybe this, that's is, what a, they compare it to. this is a great thing. And they, they didn't really talk about this very much in the doc. And I know that Simmons and Rosillo did. And something I wanted to spend a little time on was one of the primary reasons that Jordan came back to the NBA is he knew he could steal some championships. Really? Yeah. Because so, it was, a, it was a watered down NBA at that point. Oh, okay. 
So think about it. You go to 1988 when Jordan's going up against the Pistons and getting his ass kicked, and you look at the teams of the time, and you have that Pistons team, Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Bill Lambeer, Dennis Rodman. You look at the Celtics of the time, who are just stacked. That Larry Bird and Kevin McHale, uh, Danny Ainge, Dennis Johnson. I mean, they have so many players on them. Showtime Lakers has Byron Scott, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Cooper. And what starts to happen in the NBA is come 1988-89, the Miami Heat and the Charlotte Hornets join the NBA. And then the following season, the Orlando Magic and the Minnesota Timberwolves joined the NBA. So from in 1988, Jordan's and, and the Chicago Bulls are one of 23 teams. By the end of 1990, they're part of 27, they're one of 27 teams. Yeah. And then Jordan decides to come back in 95. The Raptors and the Grizzlies are new. So now there's 29 teams in the NBA. So you take a talent pool and you disperse it amongst, what was that, seven, six new teams? Seven, mm-hmm. Six new teams? Now, all of a sudden, p- teams aren't as stacked as they used to be, nor do they have the depth that they used to. And he goes, hey, me and Scotty can do this. Plus, they had Dennis Rodman. He mm-hmm. knows that he can get a couple more championships. You look at his first three championships, 91, 92, 93. Those teams are so much better, in my opinion, even than the team that won 70, went 72 and 10 because they're playing against watered down competition. He doesn't have to put the effort into it. And plus Jordan was younger on those teams and a lot more athletic as well. So that's one thing they didn't even touch on in the doc, but it's something that it was very, very true. And a, and a certainly a motivating factor that coupled with the MLB strike going on for Jordan mm-hmm. to come back. Okay. So yeah. And that's something I don't even realize. So you pointed it out because you have Richie Miller and now they're talking about that game, which is on the next episode. It's like, oh, how exciting. Like Reggie Miller and the, <laughs> I, I don't know, Reggie Miller and the Pacers. And that's like how, what Michael has to go through. But he even says it like behind the scenes footage, like these, these teams are cake. And you can yes. tell like the way they started series, how they would lose the game or be down quick. It's just because they, they knew how much better they were than these teams. And I didn't even think of it that way when you put it that way. When I listened to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo, I must have missed that point. Maybe I skipped ahead or something. Um, but that would be a big factor. And I think that would be the number one factor for him to come back because they didn't really touch on, like, I know the whole strike thing in, the, in baseball, but they didn't go too far into it about his, like, reactions and stuff. They just show him, like, walking off the field. Yeah, and, like, and, like, like he, he wasn't willing to cross the picket line and go play yeah. with the other players who were you know, the replacement players. And, yeah. But I honestly believe that if the NBA is not watered down at that point, he does stay with baseball. He does cross the picket line, and it, yeah. and it creates a big story. Uh, but he knew he could go back and, and get a couple more championships at that point. And he knew it wouldn't be as physically demanding as it was before because you weren't going against the same level of competition. Now, don't get me wrong. That 95 yeah. Orlando team and the, and the team that they ended up playing in 96 as well, that was a damn good team, man. Like I remember these teams very, very vividly. So yeah. after Jordan retired, the Suns were my, my team, but I always had an Eastern Conference team. Do you think you can guess who my Eastern Conference team was when Jordan retired? Because I was a Jordan person. I wasn't a Bulls fan. I was a Jordan fan. So I had yeah. to pick up a new team. So do you know who I picked up? Was it the 
Pacers? I don't know. It was. It was. <laughs> oh, I was it the Pacers? It, it was Reggie Miller and the Indiana yeah. Pacers. Okay. So that was my secondary team. You know, I got the Suns over here that I'm rooting for, and I, I got the Pacers because I, I don't know about you. Do you like? Do you currently have an Eastern Conference team that you enjoy watching? Like, is do you have a favorite over on the other side right now? No, I mean before LeBron went to the Lakers, it was just watching. I liked watching LeBron. That's it. Because I was I've always been more of a LeBron guy than his actual team, of course. Yes. But I mean, that's it now. The East, I, I really don't, man. I, I can't root for any of those teams. I, I just, like the I Sixers don't. right now. Oh, do you? Yeah. But they're just so complicated. It, if I like the Sixers, I feel like I would be under more stress as a Sixers fan than I am the Suns because of how much success like they should be having, but they're not. It's like, what, where is this team going? You know what I mean? But More that's questions. the beauty of having a secondary team in the other conference is you don't have to care. <laughs> no, I'm just saying if you were a 76ers fan first, that would be terrible. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, I wouldn't be able if, to deal with it. If myself. we were Sixers fans, we wouldn't be doing a podcast. Are you, being a Suns fan is depressing, but being a Sixers fan is like will drive you to insanity. Yeah, that's frustration right there. Yes, for sure, man. Beyond frustration. But quick question is Scott Morrell. So he reminds me of – does he remind you of like a spy? He reminds me of a spy, like someone in a TV show that comes in to a company – and befriends like the the leader. Like no one's friends with the leader. No one can like get his attention or get the meetings or sell stuff to him. But then the spy that comes in to try to like under with the like under the FBI's uh, investigation or whatever, which made no sense what I just said. He's, but, like, he's an espionage I, he's, agent. Yeah, like that's what he reminds me of for some reason because like everyone's like I don't know how this guy can deal with Michael on a full time basis, but he does, and he's just so quiet and humble about it, and it's such a jolly guy it's like he has some he's like has some other agenda kind of you know what i mean so that's what he reminds you you just gotta have the right personality to take the shit from jordan i guess that's what that's what it has to come down to (laughs) so but uh but going back real quick that 95 orlando magic team i just wanted to talk about them real quick they were a fun team to watch back then they had penny hardaway they had a young shaquille o'neal nick anderson dennis scott uh horace grant obviously was having a monster year with them as well and it was fun seeing some of those highlights. Uh, even I, I'll never forget when Jordan got picked by Nick Anderson on that play. And that was kind of it. That was the last, you know, Jordan wearing number 45 game. Uh, but it's, it's a team that I feel just, they had a chance to steal one why uh, uh, Michael was away and they didn't. And cause that was the year they actually went to the NBA finals and they lost to the yeah. Houston Rockets. And I always, I always wondered if that team had won a championship would they have stayed together? Because two years later, Shaq leaves to go to LA. Yeah. Penny has to carry the burden of the team. He blows out his knee. And then, you know, the rest is kind of history. LA becomes a superpower. Uh, Penny comes to the Suns and never plays. Uh, <laughs> but I always wondered. I mean, I always thought that was a really talented team. The team that won it the year before when Jordan was out was the New York Knicks, where it felt like they were finally going to get their due. And I was happy to see them lose because I couldn't stand the Knicks back then. Yeah, uh, that, that was actually uh, the Knicks when they played the Rockets in that 94 NBA Finals. That was June 17th, 1994, which uh, they did a 30 for 30 on. And that was the day that like OJ, uh, you know, was going down the freeway all slow and everything. And I remember watching it in L.A. I couldn't I was so pissed because I wanted to watch the NBA Finals and they kept cutting it out to watch to show a Bronco going fucking 35 yeah. down to 405. I was like, you kidding me? Show me the damn finals. Boy. Yeah. You know? Drive me crazy. But, but that 95 team, I just wanted to give a shout out to them. They were, they were a good team. Yeah. They, uh, it's funny cause they had their other story on their side. Like, you know, I, I think Shaq would have went to LA anyways. I think he just wanted to be in LA. 
yeah. from what we saw from his story and what he how like his kind of doc went so uh but it's too bad dude that because that team would have been fun and there's the other team with the Suns that should have took advantage too but they didn't so after that season obviously right before the 72 and 10 team Jordan shoots Space Jam uh what are your thoughts on Space Jam how good oh, of a movie is it yeah it's, no Space Jam I love it it's great and I'm excited for the second one I think the second one's gonna be funny too I thought I'm really excited for it um, but the whole thing with him in the bubble, <laughs> that, that was pretty cool. That, that was, was pretty awesome. Crazy, man. That was awesome. Especially seeing Sean Bradley slow-mo driving to the rim. That guy was so awkward in the NBA yeah, and in like, the Sean movie. Bradley. Yeah. I remember he was in the movie and, uh, he's never, he was never that great of a player though. Right. I just he was supposed to be really good and he was supposed to be yeah. really tall, but he played, I want to say for the Sixers back then. And he just, I mean, he couldn't put it all together he was like seven foot six or something i mean come yeah, he on, was man. tall what dude. seven foot six guy truly dominates the nba they don't have the athleticism <laughs> to do it yeah he was on the team with uh dallas where they had like everyone there was seven feet yes like oh man diop and yeah, everybody yeah it's crazy <laughs> uh i don't think space jam was that good i mean what are you what are you comparing it to though i mean it's just a fun movie right i mean Let's go animated characters involved with real life people. Let's compare to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I, that you know, was kind of weird though. I it, like it. It was it's good. Just, it's kind of dark though, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's definitely dark, but it's also revolutionary. It was an adult movie. Yeah. Okay. Then that makes sense then now because I'm like, was that an adult movie? <laughs> it was, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Jessica okay. Rabbit. Come on. Vavoom. Uh, yeah. Hey. Yeah. I will okay. say though, uh, <laughs> we show dive-in movies at my resort on Saturday nights during the summer. Yeah. And I love showing Space Jam because it's like the shortest fucking movie ever. It's like 60 minutes, it feels like. Like, show Space Jam, everybody wins, we're done. Let's get out of here. Pack it up. Let's go. Yeah. It's a good go to movie, man, <laughs> I think. So then we go into the 72 and 10 team. And I got to ask you this question Do you think they're the best team ever? From watching the doc? No, obviously not. Because we just pointed out, too, how they're slate three months. What did Scotty Pippen say? Three months, we're not going to lose a game? Yeah. So it's like, no, because in all, honestly, everyone's going to say the Warriors too, right? Warriors were 173. I think the year they won it, 173 games, the NBA was a much better league. Now that you pointed it out again, like for me to actually think of it, it's like, okay, yeah, this today's NBA for like the last five or six years has been great. I think there's a lot of good competition. Uh, maybe not in the East as much. For the Warriors to do what they did in the West, I, they're, they're the best team ever. But the difference is the Warriors didn't win the chip. They yeah, lost. I know. So, I mean, you look at the They're the best Bulls. regular season team, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the 86 Celtics are up there because you look at the, the competition that the NBA had back then, the level of talent, the guys who were on that team, the way that they dominated the NBA that season. They beat Jordan and the Bulls. They beat Magic and the Lakers. I mean, they went through some heavyweights. Uh, that, that was what was interesting about watching that 72 and 10 uh, season. You look at all of the different um, teams that the Chicago Bulls had to go through, and it wasn't overly impressive. You know, one, I've already talked about the regular season uh, being, uh, you know, on, on a watered-down um, uh, NBA. But then you look at the Eastern Conference first round. They have to play the Miami Heat. They play the New York Knicks at the back end of their prime. I mean, they, they shot their load in 94 and when they lost to the Houston Rockets. Then they sweep the Orlando Magic. The team that beat them the last year 
they're on the back end of their success. And then they go four and two against the Seattle Supersonics. Uh, but that wasn't even really a series. They went up three, nothing. And then, you know, went three, two before closing them out on father's day, uh, 1996. And you look at that run through the playoffs after going 72 and 10, they go, what, 4, 8, 12, 15, and 3 in the playoffs. Whereas the Warriors, they end up losing in the finals to LeBron. So, I don't know. I just I, I think that that 86 Celtics team, I think it goes 86 Celtics, 96 Bulls, and then those Warriors. Yeah. Simply, and I, and I know I'm biased because I'm one of those people who believes that championships trump a lot of different things. Are you one of those people? Yeah, I mean, if you can get, if you can win the championship, that's all you're there for to win. Exactly. No matter how you win it, you won it, and there's always there can always be an asterisk next to any kind of championship. But as long as you win it, you went down as the best team that year. So that's the ultimate goal, man. Yeah, and I think that carries a lot of weight. So I I do think that that Warriors team was deadly, and I think if you put them in any era, which is always a dangerous game to play because you can yeah, never truly know, you know. But still, like. I think that it's it's very interesting how they just they couldn't close it out the 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 Cavaliers that year, and I think so, that, yeah. that 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 just takes them down a notch. I think you know I've seen a lot of people who think that Warriors team is the best ever, and I I get it. You know the the NBA is not easy anymore. It, yeah. Don't get me wrong; it's it's completely different than it was t- 10, 20, 30 years ago. But I think that that eighty six Celtics team where they swept Jordan and the Bulls in the first round. Then they go against Dominique and the Hawks in the second round. They beat the Bucks and sweep them in the third round, and they beat the uh, the Houston Rockets four to two in the uh, NBA Finals against Hakeem Olajuwon and Ralph Sampson and those guys. Yeah, they also went fifteen and three in the playoffs. So, but, so a, I cor- I correct myself though. It's the it's the following year when they add Durant because that team itself yeah, that, team, that team can be any team from any decade. I think because that that team is ridiculous. You'll never be able to top that again, I don't think. No, I think – yeah, I didn't even think about that. I was just thinking about, you know, between yeah. total wins. But, yeah, you look at it, the 2016-17 Golden State Warriors, they went 67-15. and 15. So they didn't win 73 games like they did the previous year. Yeah. But they, but they did have Kevin Durant, and they were <laughs> – The I second mean, best player in the league, yeah. <laughs> and, and – all right, so here's – so so – to, to pinpoint your case, here's how they went through the finals. The 2017 Golden State Warriors. They win the first round against the Pacers 4-0. They win the second round against the Jazz 4-0. They win the Western Conference Finals against the Spurs 4-0. And they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in the finals 4-1. So they go 16-1 to end the season. Yeah. Yep, you're right. There you go. That's the best team in NBA history. It is the best. And it, I feel like it might have been a different uh, – I, I, was that the J.R. Smith game or was that the following year when LeBron and, and the Cavs, they lost the first game because J.R. Smith dribbled the ball out? Was that the um, following year? I think that was, I the, think following it was the following year. Because game one yeah. of, of the 2017 NBA Finals, the Warriors won 113 to 91. Because I think Kyrie was still on that team when they lost to the Warriors, right? That year, looking at it, yeah, Kyrie Irving was still on the yeah, team. Yeah, because I remember they won, yeah, because they won the one game, and then I remember LeBron giving up and just giving them the ring to Durant. So, yeah. That's so, how I looked at it. I mean, I love LeBron, but I just know he – I don't I don't know. I thought he should have won that series, but whatever. I'm well, <laughs> I got 
Well, don't, don't worry. I got, a, I got a question for you on LeBron here in a, a couple seconds. Uh, speaking I, of that 72 and 10 team, you know, they were going against Gary Payton, Sean Kemp and the Sonics. Yeah. What about those jerseys, yo? Oh, every Jersey we see in the playoffs. Oh, beautiful. Even the magic Jersey. I love it. I love, I love those magic the jerseys. Ma- the black the, the, ones and the blue ones. The blue are, ones were the best. Yeah. The blue ones are fantastic. Sonics ones. Great. I hated those Sonic jerseys. Yeah, I think you're the only person in the world. Yeah, I for some Why? reason, in the middle of the 90s, every team started doing these circular logos. The Sonics did it. Uh, the Houston Rockets did it after they won two championships. They changed up their whole uniforms. Yeah. And I, I just didn't like the way it looked. It looked cartoony. It looked, especially when you go back and you look at Seattle's base model, if you will. Like the ones that Kevin Durant wore when they updated their old 70s version. Those uh, were clean, man. A lot of yellow, a lot of green. I love those colors together. But with those Sonics teams, they started to throw a lot of the red in there, and I just wasn't a fan of that. Yeah, the red, not too much. I just, I love the design in the jerseys. And I think it's just, the more the reason that you like them now is because they're not around anymore. And I think a lot of people now are like, oh my God, those jerseys are great just because they're not around anymore. And it's a classic almost now. Because they got kicked out of their city, whatever they moved on um, to OKC. But I I just, I've always loved them. I just, watching this doc just reminds me of living in like the first house I ever lived in. Yeah. And watching TV, like on NBC, uh, watching basketball on NBC on the weekends. The hoop was bigger. Everything was bigger. It just, everything, I don't know. It just brings you back to that. And I love that feeling, dude. I wish I could have that back again for the way I watch sports now. I don't know why. It's just a well, different kind of look. It's nostalgia. You know, you're a little kid. Yeah. You're excited by all the, the sounds. And I mean, you even have, if I'm not mistaken, your ringtone is like the old NBC on NBA was, on NBC yeah. tone. It, that was so awesome. It wasn't so until it got awesome. really annoying. <laughs> no, that, yeah, I know. I can believe it. You know, it's like, that was always, yeah, it was too loud. Best song ever. But those were, those were great times. And, and that's why I think I'm, even though I'm being underwhelmed, in the totality of this documentary from a behind the scenes standpoint, I'm a huge fan of this entire documentary because that's what you're talking about. When you watch those Sonics games in like 95, 96, that's how I felt back in 88. Cause yeah. how old are you in 95? Six years old, right? Six years. Yeah. And that's how old I was in 88. So that's what okay. all of this, you know, it's that feeling nostalgia and wonderment and the what if factor you know, what if this went this way? What if the, I, based on what I know now, what if this had gone a different route? And that's what makes it so fun and interesting. I still think those, uh, those jerseys are cool as throwbacks, but I don't know, man. I just, they, they incorporated too much red. And when yeah. they started to use the okay. red ones as a tertiary color, I didn't and like I, that. Oh, I hated that. I like just the original ones. They'll never bring them back, so you don't have to worry about yeah, it. Yeah, that's I mean? true. Even if they go back to Seattle, it's going to be a different look. They'll never bring those back. The, the white ones were clean, though. I'll, give, I'll yeah. give you that. Those white ones were clean. Oh, those are the best ones. Yeah. yeah. So what was interesting about that series is, you know, again, they talk about multiple times in this documentary how uh, Michael Jordan used grudges and yeah. even, even falsehoods to motivate him. You know, they're talking about that yeah. poor guy on the Washington Bullets who, you know, said, nice game, Mike. And it ends up he didn't say nice game, Mike. And then he just you know, shreds the kid the next night on a back-to-back in Washington. And what was interesting about the 96 finals was that motivating factor was the fact that George Carl didn't say hi to him. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, 
do you okay i i i believe it i guess i don't know i just think of that happening a lot i think there's probably other things that go into it too but for him not to say hi you think that was i mean because do you think he really had to use that to beat him because he already knew this team was way better than the sonics they he knew they had no chance of beating him uh the Sonics beating the bulls um so i don't know i just the way i think of it is just a story that happened the night before and just for him to say yeah that's what happened that's how i got the motivation i don't know i'm weird i'm sorry i just i don't know if that's really is that really a big deal to you if that happens to you just because of their history together i guess if somebody doesn't say hi to me I'll slough it off to Buffalo hell. I'll probably thank them later for not doing it because I didn't want to say hi to them to begin with. With Michael Jordan, anything can be used as a competitive factor, and that's what makes him great. So Mm -hmm. I don't know how much validity there is to the story, but it makes for a fun little anecdote. You know, they both have North Carolina eyes. He's expecting to at least, you know, give him to dap him out a little bit, and he doesn't give him anything. So you take that little nugget coupled with the fact that this is a great team – you know, am I, am I saying they're the greatest team ever? No. Even though at that time I wrote 72 on one on my left foot and 10 on my right foot on my shoes at the time. Uh, I think I had Jordan nines at the time and I wrote that on it. I mean, it's, it's an absolutely great team. He knows he's probably going to kill him in the finals. But yeah, let me just throw a little mustard on that hot dog just to make it a little more delectable. And that's the yeah. way I think that he kind of at least presented it to us in that uh, in the documentary. Yeah, and I, I apologize. I sometimes have trust issues. Um, <laughs> but no, it's a great story, man. And maybe he, George Carl just really had to go poop and he was trying to rush by and was not paying attention because he was sweating bullets. Who knows? You know, George Carl looks like a guy who took a lot of shits. So you might not be wrong yeah, there. Took a lot of sweaty shits. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on Jordan getting choked up talking about the way that he addressed his teammates and whether or not that, he was an asshole? Yeah. For me, I've heard different takes. It's like, <laughs> it's like he uh, he got choked up for that reason, just because. For me, I think it was just people don't understand, and I loved it. It, it actually woke me up, kind of when I was watching it. Just like, oh, okay, that's this guy. This is as real as it gets. If you're choking up over talking about that, and just talking about your intensity, and everyone knows how much of a hard ass you are, and you have to keep explaining yourself. This is what it takes to win a championship. And no one understands, it seems like. I don't, do you think people understand? I guess they don't because we keep talking about it with Michael. and We keep questioning it. Was he an asshole? No. This is what had to happen for them to win the championships. And I think it just takes its toll on him because he doesn't want to be thought of as like a dick, even though he was. He he's was still human, like, yeah. Yeah, he's like, I had to play this part for us to get there. And <laughs> hey, Lenny. And I, <laughs> yeah, Chipotle just showed up at the door. So oh, nice. the dogs, the dogs, you want ape shit in the background. Sorry about that. No, it's fine. Uh, don't apologize to me, <laughs> I, even though you didn't. But no, I just, I, I love that part. I thought it was the best part of the, of the episode. I think anytime a guy's talking about um, just his dedication to something and it chokes him up, whether it's him, this or his father's death, um, I love that stuff. I think it's just really genuine. What was interesting is he had a quote that I actually wrote down because I think it's, uh, it's motivational. You know, I'm, I lead people at work. I'm a, I'm a manager and I have people work under me and he says, winning has a price. Leadership has a price. And that was the price he paid. You know, you can't be everybody's buddy when you're the manager, you're the leader or you're the best guy on the team. You can't be. And, and if you are, that's, that's nice, but you're probably not going to win. And at the end of the day, that's what it's about. It's about winning. They're not showing up to play basketball at the highest level in the, on the planet to be friends. 
they're doing it to go win the championship. Yeah. And you have to do things that other people aren't willing to do. As a leader, you have to be firm but fair. You have to set the standard. You have to have discipline. You have to ensure that you don't compromise your integrity. You always put the needs of those who work for you above your own. And those are things that, you know, Jordan, as the leader of the Bulls, had to do. You know, I wouldn't say he did all those things. You know, he definitely, I wouldn't say put the needs, the emotional needs of his fellow teammates ahead of his own. Because again, he's calling them bitches and hoes. But that's just yeah. the team part of it. You know, I mean, if you want to be the best, you're going to have to make sacrifices, whether that's Michael Jordan chewing your ass, or if that's, you know, being Jordan and have to do the ass chewing. And it was nice to see that moment of self-reflection. And, you know, I mean, he had to take a break. He's like, cut, we got to cut this, you know, cause it, it hit him, you know, no one wants to be the asshole, but sometimes you got to be the asshole. Yeah, you have to be. And he, he had so much on the line, man, so much for every year of his life, every basketball season, every playoffs, every championship, it was all about MJ. And he had to basically group these guys together to be like his other half. Cause if it wasn't for him being that way, and them giving him the effort back, he wouldn't have those championships. And he knew that too. And I just think he just had a hard time. And like you said, it's, it's hard to like lead and not be a friend too, because there's a lot of things you have to do at work. If you're a leader that you're not going to be a friend with that person, because there's, there comes time where you have to be an asshole and the other people don't like it. Like you saw in the stock, a lot of people didn't like the fact that he was a dick. And then some of, a lot of his teammates did but some of them didn't like BJ Armstrong, like, Oh, he's a dick. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's like, it, it's like, okay, but do you really understand the whole point? The reason he's that way? Uh, some people don't. And that's what he had to deal with. And I think that's why it was so emotional for him because people just don't understand. No, agreed. And it's, it's something that I tell any one of my new leaders when they become a supervisor is, you know, you might've been friends with these people before you might've been, uh, a line level worker alongside of them. And, you know, again, to, I'm going to be using that quote, leadership has a price. Leadership yes. has a price. You, you no longer are smoking and joking with these people. You can't compromise your integrity. You can't sit there and go, you know what, after work today, I'm going to go out drinking with two of my servers because I'm, I'm boys with them because now the other two servers who you're not going drinking with uh, don't feel that same kind of love. And now you're creating dissension and now you're hurting the cohesiveness of the team and the end result, which is to win the day, you know, I, I use, yes. and, and so leadership has a price. And I thought that was a, a very valuable moment. One of my favorite moments so far of the documentary itself. And that's the one thing that I'm really starting to realize is where the best parts of this documentary are, you know, yeah, we're not seeing that behind the scenes footage that we were expecting from that 98 season, but you know what we're seeing a lot of fantastic interviews a lot of insight from Michael and Scotty and Phil and Rodman and people around the organization. I mean, that's what's making this documentary. Yeah. That scene where uh, Gary Payton's talking about how he had Michael and they hand him the iPad and he starts laughing. That's my new favorite gift, man. I made that thing into a gift instantly and put it on, on Twitter. Cause I thought that was hysterical how he, he starts laughing and he gets a little giddy, you know, yeah. with his laugh. I'm like, that's, that's where, the money in this documentary, the meat, the bones, the heart of this documentary are, are those interview sessions, man. Those, uh, what do they call those things? Headshots, head rolls. 
Oh, I'm not sure for what for a movie casting. No, what when they're talking ha- about no when no when they're having those one on ones. I forget what they call them in like. Oh, the, I don't know. In the office, they say, you know, when they have like the headshots where they're interviewing just Pam or Jim. There's yeah. a specific name for them, and it's, it's oh, okay. eluding me right now. But that's that's the money of the of the doc, man. It is. It's it's the reaction and talking about waiting for a reaction was. When Scotty left, or didn't leave, he didn't go into the game. To make oh yeah, because he wasn't shooting the game-winning shot. What a bitch. And then you're just you're waiting. Everyone's talking. Everyone has their interview. And you're just waiting for Scotty to come on, and he doesn't regret it. He said he would have done it again, even though he has to live with it now. Even though I forgot about it, I don't really think of Scotty. You know, but I wasn't there in the moment, so maybe it's different because I wasn't actually there. Well, I was there, but I wasn't really watching. Um, so I think he kind of has to live with that now. But he even said like I. I would probably do it again and i could see his reasoning for it but what a crazy ass move man <laughs> oh i know what a that was ballsy the craziest move. thing i've ever seen i in the nba i've never has anybody ever done that has i'm not getting the it? shot so i'm not going in I, that's I don't uh and the game if, if tony kukoc's misses that shot the game's tied yeah like it's not like it was a buzzer beater and if they you know no matter what it's either we win or we lose in the, in this next moment yeah. Like, listen, I'm not going in for the shot, but if he misses it, now I have to play overtime. Like, how awkward would that have been? Oh, the whole thing was awkward. And what didn't make it awkward is after was it was it BJ Armstrong that stood up and made a speech? Who was the one? That no, it was Bill Cartwright. Bill Cartwright. Sorry, I get those two confused. I don't know why. Yeah. And they, uh, stand up and cry. Di- completely different players. I know. Cartwright, <laughs> well, the yeah, of, obviously. <laughs> so, what college did Bill Cartwright go to? Uh, was it Arizona State? No, it was the same college as Bill Russell. Oh, um, Ireland? I don't know. Where the, the fuck U- is University of San Francisco. Oh, okay. <laughs> Stupid knowledge. That. So that's the fun thing. I could probably tell you where every guy in that Bulls team went to college. It's just that, yeah. that dumb trivia been that the I know. college guy. Yeah. You know all the colleges. I know so. where they all went. So uh, One thing that was interesting about the very end, when he wins that championship and he, start, he gets down on the floor and he starts crying, Oh, man. And, and, it's, and it's annoying how, like, Randy Brown, like, jumps on him. Like, get out of here, Randy Brown. Leave Michael Jordan alone. You know, it's Father's Day. Yeah. He's highly emotional. You know, he even says it. You know, he's like, this one's for daddy. Uh, and it wasn't the first time he cried when he won a championship. You know, he won a championship in 1991 against the Lakers when he won that first one and he started crying. Yeah. And here's something that maybe I'm a little too harsh on LeBron for, but I'm going to go there. I feel like Michael Jordan, when he won those championships, he cried – out of relief, out of uh, emotion. I, I believe that he cried because he felt it. I felt like LeBron always cried because he felt he had to. That's his whole career, though. Yeah. He's doing it for the cameras. I never feel genuinity yeah. with LeBron at the same way I did with Jordan. And again, that might be a reason why I go goat Jordan. Yeah, of course. But LeBron has no choice. He, I know MJ, they, they both grew up around the cameras and stuff, but... LeBron's whole life is just a reality show. Basically it's, it's all on TV. He's always on Instagram. It's not like it's not his fault. He puts himself out there now, but he also does it so much to where you think everything he does now, including crying, which I'm almost, I'm kind of on your side with that. You think it's not real. You think it's just an act. He's trying to be someone else. And just like they mentioned, like Kobe, I think they mentioned on the podcast this morning. I was listening to Bill Simmons, how Kobe's thing was always his he turned himself into MJ and a lot of yeah. it was forced. And that's a lot of LeBron. Now he turns things or he's a flip flopper where he'll, he'll change his mind to be 
more in the perspective of like people loving him. I, of the like, majority. Yeah. He wants yeah, the majority to love him. He wants the majority to love him. So he's going to do the Cleveland thing. I think, didn't he cry then when he won it with Cleveland? Yeah, Cleveland, this is for you. It's like, it was, yeah. felt like it was fake. Like, I feel like he said that the right yeah. thing. Like, that's what you're, he should say in that moment. But I don't know if the tears were legit and genuine. And again, that's one of my uh-huh. issues with him is because, uh, and it's most likely a, he's a product of this culture and he's always on stage. But unfortunately, that takes away from, for me, his legacy because I don't feel like he truly it meant to cry. I, I wish I saw a true reaction. You know, if he's up there just going, fuck yeah, I did this. This is what I came here to fucking do. I fucking did yeah. it. I would have felt more like, okay, that's, that's it, LeBron. Get mean. But instead, he's, he's crying because he has to, not because yeah. he feels like he, he wants to. Well, that's his life, though. I mean, because no matter how he does it, people are going to say, oh, was that real or was not real? It's in his mind, too. He knows that. So whatever he has, whatever is brought out of him at the moment, I'm sure he thinks the same thing. Like, I got to kind of make this look more real. And then that makes it look like it's not real. I have to sell it. I have to sell it. Yeah, and it's it sucks. I think that's just the way his mind is now, and that's just who he is. And it's always been that way with him, and it'll never change. So the other thing that uh, they were talking about, which, again, I wouldn't even say LeBron. I would just say anybody in the NBA now, is they were talking about Jordan's obligation to come out and give you his best on a Tuesday night in Milwaukee. And I think that yeah. that's something that's lost on the modern NBA. And I just, I don't understand why, you know, Jordan understood that this might be the one chance that some kid has to ever see him play ever. And he valued that. And he did his best to play at his best at all times because of that. And that's something that the NBA and the player empowerment era has completely gone away from. They don't care about the fans. They don't care about the fact that, you know, I'm spending my hard-earned money to go see LeBron play tonight and LeBron wants to sit it out because load management. Yeah. Uh, You know, and again, that's another thing that Jordan Goat, anybody else not. And I believe for that reason. You're totally right. Um, Besides Kawhi, I kind of get Kawhi's reasoning because I think he does have an injury problem. He has the physical injuries. Yeah. But um, LeBron, see, this is another flip-flop thing where before he would be on load management. Now, this season, last season, I don't even know. Last season, he actually got hurt. Yeah, he finally, for the first time in his career. Yeah, I know, exactly. So, I mean, like, this year, he was just like, he even mentioned it more times than I can ever remember, how he wanted to play every game. And you never heard that from him really before, speaking out against the load management. I think it's just because of the whole L.A. versus L.A. thing where the other L.A. team was doing it. He wanted to make the Lakers the best LA team still, like the most known or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think that was a big thing too with it. And I I can't stand the load management. I can't, but I think there's good reasoning for it. Um, but I don't think we'll ever see it again. Like a guy like MJ where he's going to go play every game. I know the young guys. like And, and, and as, as intense that he plays. Yeah, but you you'll know, see that, it. That's one of the big criticisms of LeBron is he knows yeah. how to take time off in the middle of a game by not getting back on defense, walking three-point line to three-point yeah. line versus putting maximum effort on both floors the way that MJ did. Yeah, but he can't do that now anymore. <laughs> well, like, yeah, he's, just, well, he's, he's in his, he's like, a, 17th year. Yeah, but, I mean, but you'll see players. I mean, there's a John Morantz I was trying to throw out there. He, the John Morantz that come into the NBA are going to play like that, like the Russell Westbrooks. Like, he's, he plays yes. every game like it's his last. You yes, still have those I players. I love that. Yeah, and I love that, too. That's why I love him, and I think – well. 
I don't know, love's a strong word, but <laughs> I just like his game a lot because he does that, because he goes all out and he cares so much. And I feel like that's what people always overlook is how much uh, Russell um, like loves the game and how much passion he puts into it and sucks. And it just goes to show you that it's, it's a rare thing. You know, that's the exception, not the rule. Even back when Jordan was playing, it's not like every player played like that. You know, he yeah. was, that's what made him great is the fact that he wanted to go out and dominate everybody every time because it was one satisfying for him, but two, it satisfied the fans who came and saw him uh, yeah. from far and wide just for that reason. Like imagine if you're from Austria and you travel all the way to America and you know, you're in Charlotte for some reason, and you just are here to see Jordan come in and play the Hornets on one night, and he decides to sit down. Like, how unbelievably disappointing is that? And that's yeah. a regular story nowadays. Uh, ever since I think Pop kind of started it in, in uh, San Antonio by resting a lot of his veterans, uh, rightfully so. I again, I agree with the, yeah. the, the older players, but you look at some of the younger players taking that load management thing, I just think it's a bunch of crap. Yep, they just hoes and bitches. Bitches and hoes. <laughs> so we know that the next uh, last dance, which will be the last dance because it's episodes nine and 10, which comes out next week is really probably going to go into the 96 or I'm sorry, the 97 finals when they play Carl Malone and John Stockton at the back end of their careers. And then obviously culminate in beating the jazz in 98 as well. So looking forward to that, but you know, all yep. in all, I, where does episode seven and eight rank so far for you? out of everything that you've seen? Well, I think six was the best because it was the Suns, yeah. the Suns series. And I think a lot of people thought that was the best episode. These last two were okay. I just, nothing really great until the actual interviews with Michael at the end where he gets really emotional. I think that sounds great. Um, if I were to give these a rating, I would give them six out of 10. I don't, I'm just not blown away. I'm having fun watching them. I'm just not, I don't know. I'm falling asleep sometimes. I'm not going to lie. Maybe I was just <laughs> super tired. <laughs> like, probably I, were. You probably were. Yeah, I know, but I I still enjoy it, man. But um, what 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 what, what, what would you say? <laughs> uh, you know, it's probably like an eight out of ten for me. You know, I think yeah. that episodes five and six, those were my uh, those were money. Yeah, that was like Rubber Soul and Revolver from the Beatles for me. I mean, those were just great. Uh, mm -hmm. It was kind of frustrating how episode seven started off with kevin johnson's block shot in the 93 finals <laughs> yeah. that's literally how they started i was like fuck i know you know i thought we were done watching the suns lose uh but oh, that man. that horrible play call and kevin johnson who had a horrible series taking that shot and getting blocked by horse grant to end the 93 yeah. nba finals is how it all started so that that takes it down a whole rank for me but but again interesting you know i think that the second coming of jordan was also somewhere i'll never forget exactly where i was i was in sixth grade I was at Creighton Middle School, and I was sitting on a uh, in the cafeteria when people started talking about Jordan was back, and I was so excited. Uh, it was it was really a fun time having Michael Jordan come back into the league. I I used to have in my room growing up a poster of Jordan, and then I had his one called the Second Coming, and it was him doing a dunk yeah. into the clouds wearing number forty five, and then I had a number twenty three next to him, and I'll actually show you when we do the. Uh, our pod next time, next time when he retired the second time after the 98 finals, I still have that newspaper in my garage. Okay. Yeah. I'd love to check that out. And, and I love it. Cause I think it might've been Bickley wrote a column and said, how, how did he only win five MVPs yeah. right under? Yeah. I got to go back and look at that. So there's like three newspapers, maybe four newspapers that I actually still have. There's that one when the Dimebacks won the world series in 01 
when Obama got elected president and 9-11. I have all four of those newspapers in my garage. I don't know why. I, no, I mean, that was the thing newspapers. back then. That's what, you, that's what you did back then. That's how you found stuff out. And I, could ne- I couldn't even imagine how happy you would have been how happy you were when you found out he came back. That's just, it's it crazy. was different though. It was different because you got to realize in that 18 months that Jordan was gone, I moved from LA. I moved back to Phoenix where I was born, but I yeah. moved to LA when I was three. So I come back, I'm like 12 years old and I was a Suns fan. Like by the time he came back, I was a Suns fan. And although they, they became my Easter conference team, I was following yeah. the Suns die hard. And then like, what Jordan was doing over there. I'm like, Oh, that's cool, man. Like I didn't like the Sonics that year. Uh, so I was happy when they beat them. I never liked the jazz because they had some bouts with the Phoenix suns. So it was nice to see them beat them twice, but, but it was different for me when he made that first run 91, 92, 93, I was Jordan or nothing. But when I moved back here and I was a man without a team, I went with my, what, what was my Western conference team as a kid, which was the Suns. That's why that 93, that 93 uh, finals was just so tough for me personally because I love the Suns and I love the, the Bulls. I remember telling my dad, I'm like, no matter what, I win, Dad. Jeez. And he said, he said, he said, no good. He said fuck off. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, uh, but that, that's it for this version, I guess, this episode of the Suns Jam Session podcast. We thank you ever so much for coming and joining us and listening to something that doesn't have too much to talk about the Phoenix Suns, but definitely has something to talk about basketball, which is what we love more than anything. Remember, yes. you can follow the, uh, the podcast at Suns Jam on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Darth Voida. He's... I'm at Matthew Lissy. And we are always ready and willing to listen to any of your questions. You can email the show, session at gmail.com. I'm going to go get me another yes, beer and I'm done talking. So you All can right. be done listening to me. Stay home, drink your beer, and love your family. Yee-hoo.